Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 14, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. I don't know why, whenever I say that every week, that I feel like I'm introing the old Batman cartoon show. What? That's, that's what I feel like. I feel like I'm the narrator that... that Welcome to season two, episode fourteen. Maybe of we need to Batman. Ep- we may- maybe we some- need some new intro yeah. music that's no, more I, like Batman. I, yeah, maybe so. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> if you're of a certain, Batman. if you're of a certain age, you know that syncopated rhythm right there. I would just like to remind you that in our very first episode, you said we would never sing on this podcast. I didn't. I just didn't. Is that, that was singing? kind of singing. No, oh, it's more like it's more like uh, middle aged rapping. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, uh, this is Rick uh, sitting next to the Becky Nader today. And we are, this is an exciting day. We're uh, A few weeks ago, we uh, told you that we were going to be on-ramping into uh, sort of a month of exploring a central idea or a central uh, challenge that we all face in life, which is our issues with our identity. And when you say identity, it's kind of a little bit of a fuzzy word, but it, it is central to the message of Jesus and the living of our life is who are we and what are we about? To me, this issue of identity is the primary battleground we face on an everyday basis. Every single challenge we face as human beings is somehow connected to our identity. And because we are who we are, it's connected to our broken identity. And because we have a broken identity, it is as if, and if you can use, if you can think about the metaphor that Jesus used as he's the shepherd of the sheep, and the, the wolves come after what kind of sheep? They come after sheep that are lagging behind or wounded or weak. And our brokenness makes us wounded and weak. So our enemy prowls and looks for weaknesses and vulnerabilities in us and that's where he tries to access and leverage us so they're all it's and it's always about our identity our broken identity offers this sort of latch hold for the enemy to come after us the beauty of this is that jesus will not be outshrouded by his enemy and jesus instead takes these broken places in us as access points to come into our lives and bring beauty and redemption. He, he sees them as open doors. These are the places where we actually will admit our need for him in our brokenness. So uh, where the enemy sees something for, available to destroy us, Jesus sees it as an opening to bring beauty and life into our lives. So, so we're going to spend um, uh, a month focusing on issues related to our identity, and this week we get to listen to Becky's interview with best-selling author and, uh, and wholehearted Canadian Sarah Bessie. So we're, we're going to listen to that in just a second, but when, as we're t- because we're talking about identity, if you think about the time, the seasons of your life when your identity was really kind of solidifying, 
One of those times is this gap between when you graduated from high school and you entered into college, you're on your own for the first time, or if you even if you didn't go to college, maybe you went right into the workforce out of high school, and again, you're forming who you're going to become. It's such a charged season of life, and uh, we wanted to pause before we uh, get right into the Sarah Bessie interview to uh, let you know about something that is just we, we've produced and it's just come out specifically targeting this season of life uh, from graduation moving into young adulthood. So, Becky, why don't you tell them about it? So the book is called, and it's actually, it's a very, it's like a leatherette devotional. It's called Destination Life, Navigating Your Future with Jesus, 40 Devotions. This is not the kind of college devotional book that's going to sit on a shelf and collect dust and that they're never going to read. This is the kind of devotion that they're going to, they're going to get into it. Um, and it's, co- it's kind of a combination of real devotions that have to do with um, things that they're dealing with right now in their life. Like, how do I spend my free time? And what do I do when I have no money? Um, and kind of taking those issues back to Jesus. But it's also paired with adulting advice. So if you know someone who is in not, this stage of not life... adultery advice. No, adulting. So let's just be clear. This is this is like how to be an adult. <laughs> so it, it has things like checklists for your car and what are taxes and how does that work? And so just fun items that um, every college student who's, you know, starting out in life is like, what, you know, what's an, you know, what's a tax ID number and what's my pin number? And so all of these kind of fun things, destination life, I was reading through it and I feel like maybe I need it for myself because I'm 35 years old and I don't know if I'm an adult based on this book because it's got really good advice that I'm not really doing in my everyday life. It's all highly illustrated. It's beautiful. So pick one up for a college student or someone heading out into the world. Uh, Maybe they're not even going to go to college. Maybe they're going to do something different, but they're graduating this year. Here's the good news. Jesus said you must become like a child to enter the kingdom of Maybe God. Maybe that's why I'm not a very good adult. That's right. Boy, you're really camped out in the kingdom of God, Becky. <laughs> that's my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people that. <laughs> that's right. That's called a Jesus juke. You know, when, whenever somebody uh, says something that is trying to leverage you, you come back with, you know, a cliched yeah. Jesus juke. A Jesus to, juke. To, I haven't heard that one, Rick. Yeah, there you go. Um, you use Jesus jukes throughout your day. It really... Yeah, that's not me. I can't say what I was going to say. Okay. Um, so why don't you introduce Sarah Bessie okay. and tell us a little bit about how this even came about and, and why you have such respect for her. So last summer, when we decided we were going to do this podcast... The very first person I wanted to have on the show was Sarah Bessie. Um, I started following her blog when I was in my early 20s um, and right around when she started it. Um, I started following her on Facebook and um, I just loved her and I just resonated. I was in ministry at the time. I had just graduated from a Christian college and I was wrestling with um, a lot of, you know, kind of like, how am I going to live out my faith? And I really loved her perspective. And she came out with a book that was, um, the title was very controversial. If you read the content, people were not, didn't have a problem with the content, but it was called Jesus Feminist, um, which was, you know, a little, a little daring. It's not really about a book about feminism. It's really a book about social justice. And Sarah has a huge heart um, for social justice. 
Um, the other thing, the other book that she wrote, um, and this just came out in 2015, it's called Out of Sorts. And then she told us she's work, she's working right now on a new book that's going to be coming out in the next couple of years. But Sarah is, she just has a really, she's a great wordsmith. And I just, um, I, I love the way that she brings things to light. And she wrote a post a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, sh- she shared with us in the interview that she actually wrote it quite a while ago, but she, she waited to publish it, but it just was published a couple weeks ago and it was called, I quit drinking quietly. And when it was perfect timing, because we knew we were going to do this month on identity. And when I read the post, I realized that this was not actually a post about drinking. This was a post about someone who was giving up leverage in their life and allowing room for freedom Um, And that is what we wanted to talk about this month. So I took a chance and I reached out to her and she said yes to the interview with Rick. (laughs) And then Rick totally bailed on me. He couldn't do the interview. This is apocryphal. I know. Her narrative is is not not entirely true. To go hang out with his family. Um, And... I had never done an interview before, and I did not want my first interview to be with Sarah, but this was the only time for like two months that she could do, so I had to do it by myself, and I was really terrified. But you won't sense that when you listen to the interview, because uh, yeah, she did I a think, fantastic job. I think that Jesus totally came through, because <laughs> I felt terrified the whole interview, but it, it worked out. It did, and what, what we're going to do here is pick up in the interview— Right after uh, Becky asked Sarah about why she wrote this blog piece about quietly stopping drinking in her life, why what led to it. So you're going to hear in just a second here, Sarah answer why she decided to do that. So let's listen. Yeah, you know, I was I actually wrote that um, that post probably about a month a month before I published it, and I do that often with. With things, where I'll write them and I'll kind of sit on them for a bit and think, oh, you know, would this work in a book or would this, you know, is this just more, you know, for my own self? Um, you know, and in that case, I really felt just very led to put it out there publicly uh, on a blog. And one of the nice things about blogging is that it's incredibly accessible and it gets you really past the gatekeepers. I got my start in blogging. Um, I'd be blogging since. Gosh, I mean, the dark ages, right? It's like, been a long time because I've been following you. <laughs> yeah, I've been following you for a long time, so. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, you've been you be keeping pace with me for, for a lot of ups and downs throughout, throughout mm-hmm. all of that. But I ended up um, writing about this experience that I had around um, alcohol over the last uh, number of years. And so it's kind of a, I mean, definitely not what I think most people would consider you know, anything that should ever go viral. I mean, it's a blog about, or it's an essay about sanctification, for goodness sake. So, I mean, that never should have resonated with as many people as it did. It was, you know, and, and even it was, um, you know, it's long. Uh, you know, it's deeply personal. It's not, you know, soapboxy by any stretch of the imagination. But really what I wanted to do is I wanted to explore, um, you know, a, a, through story, I suppose, which is how I do almost everything. Um, you know, a friend of mine kind of coined that phrase, uh, narrative theology, of just saying, you know, oftentimes we use our stories um, to share what we think and believe and know and experience and even hope about God. And so that's often how I write, um, is that, you know, I've got to know that God is at that intersection of, you know, of your real life and what what's really happening. 
And so, you know, and, and often I've, I've felt like sometimes for those of us who maybe some people would describe as more progressive, we aren't really having a lot of conversations around discipleship mm-hmm. any longer um, and around what it looks like then, um, you know, if, if the boundaries or the legalism is no longer driving your life, this idea of, you know, here's this far, no far, and, and, and boundary markers and fence lines and, you know, this, this is what you have to believe or this is what you have to do or you're not holy if. Once those, that black and white sort of thinking is removed, then what does God have to say about what you do right. and how you do it and why? Um, and so for me, it was just a way of exploring that, um, you know, through a lot of my journey with alcohol. I um, wasn't an alcoholic. Um, I wasn't even necessarily, I wouldn't call myself someone who was dependent on it. It wasn't a a major sin in my life, you know, and and that's a a differentiator that I needed to go back and make on the original uh, essay because, I mean, there's a big difference between someone who's an alcoholic being able to to write what I, what I did and what I didn't. Completely. Completely. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, it's apples and oranges and I never wanted anybody to read it and feel shame or feel guilt. Like if they couldn't quit in one day. That's not the journey. That's not the point. No. <laughs> no. Anyway, I ended up writing just kind of about this experience of, of being someone who, who drinks socially and someone who doesn't have a lot of, you know, baggage around it and yet began to notice, began to notice that this was potential for something, began to hear an invitation from the Holy Spirit, began to, um, you know, notice even our culture and a lot of the ways that we engage with, with drinking, um, you know, and, and then to wrestle with, you know, when it comes to conviction, um, you know, there's, do I believe or do I trust God and do I trust that there's invitation in that, that it's never an invitation to scarcity or restriction, but instead to more abundance. Um, and so for me, stopping drinking, just to completely quit drinking, you know, you wrestle with, you know, should I or shouldn't I? Or am I being a legalist? Am I not? Like, you know, what does this all kind of mean? And, um, yeah, I just ended up feeling... Uh, a really strong leading towards um, just completely laying down alcohol, and so I did. And really, the the, the essay was about that experience. It was about um, you know how our generation. It was about recovery. It was about the Holy Spirit, really. Um, and that was and really what that is. That was really the best part about what you wrote about, which is why we wanted to talk to you today about. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit starts to whisper in your ear about something gently pointing towards something that he wants you to see? And how does that um, relate to to leverage? You know, and we're going to talk more about this. Leverage is anything in our life where the enemy can start to make us feel ashamed Um, And even like Sarah said, if you may enjoy alcohol socially and you don't have a a drinking problem, you're not in you're not in the line of sin, but you may be starting to be, um, you know, asked by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to lay it down, lay this down because someone else in your life is struggling. Um, Maybe it's just because he wants to call you to a freer place where you can be more. Um, involved with him. And so what does it look like, Sarah? Tell us more about what it, what did it really look like when you started to feel like the Holy Spirit was calling you away from alcohol? What did that, what practically, what did that look like? Well, it's funny because since the the post came out, I think one of the things that makes it so universal is that it doesn't have to be about alcohol. Completely. For some people, it could be about food, 
right? Mm-hmm. Or, or this thing that maybe you shopping dependent mm-hmm. on or shopping or, you know, television or, you know, certain habits of, of, of thinking or, you know, uh, gossip. It could be, um, you know, any number of things that you've unthinkingly engaged in um, to numb or to cope or to get through or, you know, whatever it is, right? So there's all kinds of different areas where people will, will maybe uh, sense that. You know, for me, uh, one of the things that, um, you know, maybe because I'm more, uh, because I'm a writer, I tend to think, you know, more in pictures or in, you know, uh, metaphors, I suppose. And one uh, passage of scripture that really gripped me a few years ago, and I've been probably wrestling with it ever since, this will happen sometimes where, you know, I'll be reading, you know, the Bible and something you've read a million times will suddenly look like, you know, it's just got a spotlight on it. Yep. <laughs> and then it's you all feel new. Like you can't shake it, right? And I remember coming across this passage of scripture in, in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and um, and the writer of it was talking about, um, you know, that, that you want to run that race. And so uh, the words I, th- I remember really, really grabbing me were, you know, strip off every weight that's slowing you down, mm. especially the sin that easily trips you up, and mm. run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And so that really changed a lot of how I viewed sin. Because I don't necessarily view sin the same way I did, you know, in, in you know, black and white thinking days um, or in, you know, cause and effect days or, or anything else. Like for me, being able to see sin then as this thing that's easily tripping you up, that it's a weight that's slowing you down, that it's something that is destroying your, your relationship with God and with others. And that really transcends a lot of times those pet sins that we like to rank, you know, within the church of here's ones that are acceptable and here's ones that aren't and we know whatever else. But then it becomes less about do's and don'ts and rules and more about an invitation to fly, right? More about this invitation to really run with endurance instead of carrying these weights and these things that are holding you back, whether it's greed or it's you know, um, lust, or it is anger that is unrighteous, or, you know, any of these things that are really, you know, that's what they are. They're holding you back. You want to set them down because they're holding you back, not because it's going to make God love you more or make you more effective in ministry or anything. Like, that's not yeah. it. It's, it's they're holding you back from the race that you've been set to run. And so then changing my view on, on sin in that way uh, and seeing it as something that you want to, that's a weight, right, it begins to feel heavy. And uh, and I remember having this sense almost of like the Holy Spirit kind of jogging alongside of me and being like, you ready to put that one down yet? And me being like, mm. no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm <laughs> totally yep. fine. Yep. We're all fine here. Nothing to see. And it's like, yep. but then you realize you're slowing down and you realize you're not going the way that you want it to go. And you realize that you are being um, invited to do something different and better. And you can just let it go. It suddenly becomes really obvious that it's a weight, and it's not something that's that's a, that's a, 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 a discipline, or that's not something that's that's bringing greater richness and goodness to your life. And you know what? That's where things like this get get muddy because there's, I mean, you can't make the argument scripturally that drinking's bad, right? You can't get no. in there and say no, you know, that you shouldn't do it, like that it's a sin in all cases, or that it's bad or evil. You same thing with food, right? Same yep. thing with any one of those things. But when it becomes a weight that's slowing you down and a sin that's tripping you up, then that's something worth taking a look at. So if Jesus's entire mission was to come and set captives free, 
Tell us more about what does it look like when you take something off and you are free. You took this off, you put it down. Tell us about the freedom that you're experiencing since then. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that it took me about a year to get there. And that's just it. You know, like not everything happens in one, you know, great lightning flash moment. Oftentimes, um, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is gentle but relentless. And so this process for me was about untangling um, what I believed about alcohol, um, even beginning to be honest with myself about maybe I wasn't as cool with it as I thought I was. And maybe maybe I was, you know, having you know, one or two glasses a night always wasn't probably a good thing. And, you know, you kind of grow into your new choices in a, in a lot of ways, right? And so being able to, to see some of those things um, – you know, becoming really good friends with people who are actually in recovery from alcoholism really profoundly changed my life because then I began to see things through their, their eyes, you know, of, of how hard it is to be in recovery and how alcohol-centric our culture is, right, and even our churches are sometimes, and, you know, all these other things. But on the other side, as I was kind of going through this process and sensing this invitation from the Holy Spirit, I remember being like, oh, it's going to be so hard. It's going to be so awful. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be boring. And, you know, I'm going to be this out, outsider now. People are going to think I'm a legalist. You know, <laughs> right. you know, all these other things that I was like, oh, there's all this stuff I'm giving up. And then I quit. And it was like none of that was true. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't true. And, and, in, and in fact, I felt more free and I felt more fully myself. And I began to realize more and more that it's been so incredibly good, right? I was prepared kind of for this struggle to quit. I wasn't really prepared for how good I would feel, not only physically, but then did. I, I noticed a huge difference in how I felt physically, um, emotionally, spiritually, in my mind. It did absolutely feel like Hebrews talked about setting down this weight. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was just this sense of um, of freedom to it and and um, abundance to it that I have I wasn't prepared for. Like, I honestly thought that being asked to lay this down meant that it was like some form of a sacrifice. And this is so how the economy of God works, where the very thing that we think is a sacrifice ends up being this tremendous blessing and gift and, and origin of goodness and wholeness in our life. So Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 30, he says, the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. Um, What he's saying is it's not possible for Jesus to be leveraged. He's saying, hey, Mm -hmm. I, I, there is no leverage with me. Um, And so what, whenever he's calling us, you know, we, I think as Christians, um, as, as people who, who are all just trying to follow Jesus um, and we go to the Bible and we're looking for the best way, we do get so caught up in what's right, what's wrong, where's the black and white lines, how far over the black and white lines can I go? And we, we spend so much time toiling over that. And what, what Jesus desperately is saying, saying is, hey, there is no leverage with me. And so I want you to remove all of the things that are causing any leverage. And I want you to be free because I want I want to I want you to live out the life um, that I have planned for you. So as we kind of wrap up, I would love you to just, you know, if there's people listening today who in the back of their mind, they're going and maybe it's not about alcohol, maybe it's something else they're going, you know what, I feel like this is actually has leverage in my life. What encouragement do you have for someone who's in that moment right now and they're going through that? What would you say to them? 
Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of different different motivations that often lead us to those places um, in those moments. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that jumped in my head when you were talking about this was um, this I, uh, girlfriend of mine had, had mentioned to me. She was like, you know what, what we need is more women who are, who are disciplined so they can be free. Right. Mm, that you, yep, that, yep. you know, that's what you're talking about, like with this idea of not having leverage. Yep. And I know that a lot of times in our culture, particularly for those of us who maybe came up in a church culture that was super legalistic yep. or, you know, was very you're in, you're out you know, sort of, this is how you will know whether or not you're in or you're out, you know, no playing cards or, you know, whatever, right? Then you have almost this visceral reaction to those sorts of, you know, boundary markers. But sometimes it ends up being this thing that we, um, you know, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? Or like mm-hmm. an overcorrection mm-hmm. uh, almost to 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 what things are, are, are going on. So there's a, there's a few things that I think if, if people are doing that, first of all, um, I would really... Um, I would really say uh, that you don't need to be afraid. I think that oftentimes our resistance to these invitations have their origins in fear. We're afraid mm-hmm. of what we're laying down. We're afraid of a new self. We're afraid of new identity. We're afraid of what we might lose. We're afraid of pe- what people might think. Um, and we never are making our best decisions or our most Jesus-centered decisions when we are motivated by our fears. We, I love that you use the word discipline just now, because we talk a lot about how there are times when we have to take the first step. Um, you know, if God's like, Hey, I need you, I want to, I'm calling you towards this. He's just looking for us to take the first step. And I think we sometimes confuse that first step with this idea of discipline, but discipline is actually an outcome of the Holy Spirit. So it comes from attachment to Jesus and it's, it's, it's not hard. And we, I love what you said there because we have made discipline, especially in women's ministry, very hard. Oh, we got to be more disciplined. We got a lot of undisciplined people around here and out the outcome of discipline is an outcome. So we should be focusing on how do we attach people more closely to Jesus so that that outcome is natural. And it sounds like from your post, when I read that, that's what it was, that the discipline was, you, you didn't have to work at it. It wasn't hard because it was an outcome of the Holy Spirit drawing you into something. Well, absolutely. I mean, you can you can really easily draw the line between John 15 when Jesus is kind of giving that farewell discourse to the disciples and heading off to the cross, and he says, you know, abide in me, then I'm the vine, you abide in me. And, and when you abide in me, that, that harvest is sure to be organic and abundant. And then you can really easily, and, and, and a lot of people draw this line over to, um, you know, the book of Galatians, where Paul talks about how the fruit of the Spirit there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and wait for it, self-control, mm-hmm. right? That those are things that naturally are born out of your life when you are abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ. Yep. And so I think that there's, there's a, a really, um, the invitation is never to behavior modification. It's to following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is always what, it, if it's always about these outward things or the legalism or the this and that, I've always, I've really come to believe that transformation happens at that intersection of the Holy Spirit and our choices. Yeah. And it's not, and, and because some people I know grew up in the, that's really heavy on the works or the legalism side. And so then they think that they can earn it or they can do it. And, you know, like you were talking about with like a lot of women's ministries, we need to get more discipline. You need to work hard. You need to try harder. You need accountability partners, da, 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 da. 
And then on the flip side, I mean, I grew up in more charismatic circles Mm -hmm. that placed a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And there was this idea that it should just magically happen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? That somehow God is just going to like magically clap, you know, God hands and you are just never going to have issues with self-control or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever else. These things are just going to fall off of you and you are almost like a passive observer as opposed to someone who's made in the image of God and invited into co-creation. Yeah. Right? There, there yeah. is there is still that sense of agency that God has, has given us that is beautiful to God, our agency and our free will. And so having that intersection of, like, the activity and fullness and wholeness of the Holy Spirit with our choices, that's the sweet spot, yeah. I feel. Yeah. And that's where the invitation comes in. That's where that sense of abiding comes in. That's where that sense of invitation and wholeness, right? Because that's all it ever is, right? That's that's that um, you know, that thing of you don't ever regret saying yes to God. So you never do. There's there's so much wholeness in any invitation from God. And so you want to run towards that thing, laying down every weight, laying down everything that could trip you up and run with endurance the race that God set before you because it's a good abundant, whole, best-way-to-be-human kind of race. All right. There's Sarah and Becky. That was a fascinating conversation. There's a lot embedded in what she had to say, and I think we started off the the podcast today talking about how central this issue of identity is, and I said that this is sort of the, the battleground that every war has played out in our life, and leverage is its currency. And uh one of the things that, that Becky brought up in the interview that I think is so important to, to refocus and go back to is when Jesus said, hey, the ruler of this world, he's saying to his disciples, his best friends, he's trying to be—the closer he gets to the cross, the more blunt he is. That's an interesting thing about Jesus. Watch how he communicates. The closer he gets to the cross, he gets more and more blunt. And this is one of his blunt statements. He says to his friends, hey, the ruler of this world, Satan, he's talking about the enemy of God— is, is coming. Uh, he, he's about to finish what he thinks is his grand plan for destroying everything. He's coming for me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be crucified soon. But he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. He's really making a leverage statement here that there's nothing the enemy of God can leverage in me. And if you think about a person who is unable to be leveraged, what great power and influence that person has if you cannot be leveraged because the enemy has nothing in you. So so our life with Jesus, believe it or not, is headed in this direction. <laughs> this is his intention in your life, is to grow you up with his same spirit in the same sense that there's really nothing the enemy can leverage in you. I know that sounds like, almost like impossible. How could that be? But that is where he's headed in our lives. He he wants us to live leverage-free lives because the more we do, the more impact we make. So I just love that that sort of surfaced to, uh, toward the back end of this interview. Becky, what, what stuck out for you now that you've listened to the interview for the first time? One thing I thought was interesting is that both in the beginning and the end, Sarah ended up talking about discipleship. And in the beginning, when she talked about it, she was talking about how in our quest to live um, a a Christian life that is non-legalistic, have we gotten to the point where we don't really know where the boundaries are and we don't really understand, we don't really even understand what, what boundaries are for, what, what, what the boundaries are, are put there for. And then 
then she kind of went into um, Hebrews and talked about how what she was experiencing was that when the Holy Spirit comes in and he whispers something in your ear and he wants you to strip something off, it's because he wants to lift weight off so that you can run faster, so that you can be more free. And then towards the end, she brought up discipleship again. But this time she, um, she was talking about how when we talk about discipleship, we often want to talk about self-discipline. We got to get a bunch of girls in the room and we got to get them to be more self-disciplined, which is really about going back with all the shoulds and with all of the, the rules back on you. And how, you know, that's not the answer either. What we need is to, we need to create attachment in people's lives and how, how does, how does how do we start looking at discipleship as attachment so that the outcome is that the Holy Spirit does the work in people's lives? Yeah, I love that. I was just thinking um, as you were talking. So next week, I haven't even mentioned this to Becky yet. So, but I just feel uh, like if this is one of those things that the Spirit just drops into my head in the middle of this. Next week, I would love to um, orient our podcast around a tipping point song in my life. It's, it's a song by Tony O'Kay, an artist that probably most of you have never heard of, called You Will Go Free. This song literally renewed my mind and informed my spirit and has never stopped influencing me since I heard it. Uh, it's by an artist who was uh, in the secular world for a long time, and he was the last person on earth you would think would come to Jesus, but he did. And he brought his raw almost brutal view of life into his life with Jesus, and he wrote a song about being a freed captive. It's a powerful song, and I think what I would love to do next week is play the whole song and then have Becky and I talk about the journey that this song takes you on. But the opening line of the song is, uh, you've been a prisoner, a prisoner all your life, held captive by an alien world that has held your need for love to your throat like a knife. Mm. I just, wow, just even saying it, it, the world has held your need for love to your throat like a knife and has held you captive because of it. And what he's really saying there is we're all broken and longing for love. We're really longing for freedom, and we don't know how to find it. And, and the world holds that need in us to our throat like a knife. It keeps us captive to false paths that we take to try to find that freedom, to false answers to it. And we, we are like sheep. Jesus said, you are like sheep. He, he couldn't be more blunt. We tend to get easily distracted and easily led by other things, other shepherds that aren't leading us to life um, because sheep aren't all that quick on the uptake. That's why he says over and over again, attach yourselves to me, understand my voice, Know my heart so you know my voice when I when you hear it. He's pleading with us to follow only him because only he has goodness at the core of what he wants for us in our life. So anyway, maybe we'll uh, maybe uh, I'll convince Becky that we can do that next week and talk about Tony okay, but the this whole idea is really about the macro idea here is and we've said this before is what is Jesus really after? Well, he, he couldn't be more clear. I have come to set captives free. So the first step in all of this is to recognize where you're a captive. If you don't think you're a captive, then how deep is your captivity? <laughs> because 
you are a captive to something or some things, and Jesus wants to come set you free. And the first step in that is to surface and expose your captivity so that you can be a partner in this in this work that he wants to do to free you from it. Jesus does things in partnership with us. So if it's in the dark, he wants it in the light. As we said last week on our podcast, if it's in the dark, he wants it in the light so that he can partner with us in our freedom from it. So so even when Sarah talks about the leverage of drinking in her life, so what's the real issue there? He wants to surface it so that it's in the light and she's paying attention to it so that freedom can result from it. And I, th- I thought that was fascinating, this process that she went through, where she kept saying that the Spirit invited her, the Spirit nudged her, the Spirit was leading her gently. She used the word gently. For a whole year. Yeah. Gently, but uh, but uh, what was the word she used? Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, relentlessly. Relentlessly. <clears throat> that was it. So gently, but relentlessly, the Spirit led her. So listen to that. What's happening here is not... Some uh, a God who comes in and forces you, yeah. or Himself leverages you, in the sense that He's He's uh, really picking a weak spot and trying to just jam in His agenda. He's inviting, He's inviting, He's inviting, and He's relentless about it. And what Sarah was really describing is her slow acceptance of that nudge, of that voice, of that invitation. She started to allow herself to receive it. And and the and entertain the possibility of responding to it. I think her story is so true, in the sense of this is how the spirit really works. So, so where are you captive in your life? Well, probably, if you think about paying attention to these little nudges, the dis, little discomforts you have, the uneasiness, the tension that you feel around something, and you kind of bury it, or you explain it away, or you say. Ah, that doesn't really matter in my life. Oh, it's temporary, but it just keeps coming back. That is the invitation of the Spirit who's coming back relentlessly to ask you to pay attention to it. And I'm trying to think of on the fly here, what is a recent example for me of his relentless invitation? Mm-hmm. I, uh, the only one I can think of that, that happened today is really uh, the, this, this relentless nudging of the Spirit. Sometimes... It feels like this little sense in your conscience that you should pay attention to this. So I, I was going to leave the house today without—this <laughs> is going to sound so funny—but I was going to leave the house today without unloading the dishwasher before I left. What a terrible crime. Oh, no. What a terrible crime. But um, <clears throat> I had promised my wife the night before that I would unload it because I didn't want to do it the night before— but I was just going to leave it for her. And so I felt this, just this little nudge that happened over and over again, even as I was walking toward the door. And I had the choice. I could have just said, it doesn't matter. I got to go. I'm going to be late. Or I could respond to it. So it's that, these little moments where you say, you know what? I felt the nudge. I feel the tension. I'm going to respond to this. It's not just conscience. It's, it's the spirit trying to guide and direct. And really, that's an issue of whether we're going to listen and respond well. Uh, the, another thing I think that happens a lot of times is that we are very, very busy as a culture. We're very distracted. Even when we have time, 
we're distracting ourselves with devices and with all kinds of things. And so it can be very easy to be so busy that you're not even seeing the little nudges. So one of the, one of the things that I asked Rick to do to go along with this series for the whole month is Rick, a few times a year, he goes on little retreats with Jesus Um, sometimes just for a day, sometimes overnight. And I asked him if he would put together a guidebook for all of you of his kind of like tips and insights on um, how he does those little trips. Um, So we put that together. And if you go to um, the description of this podcast, you can download that. We wanted to give you that um, as kind of a a guidebook because one of the things that we have to do um, regularly is we have to slow down enough in order to hear Jesus even nudging us towards something. If we're moving too fast and if we're not making any time, we won't Necess- we won't necessarily have the, the moments where he can really reveal things to us. So you should go download that Rick. I call it Rick's guide to a retreat <laughs> with Jesus. Yeah, it's a great title. And you know, uh, everything's a metaphor for Jesus. So marriage is also a metaphor that he wants us to understand. Even if you're not married, he wants us to understand all of us, the metaphor of marriage and in marriage, Uh, If you're married, you're going to understand completely what I'm about to say. In everyday life, when you're in on the superhighway of married life, there's lots of forms of communication that are uh, brief and in passing and in in their nuanced. And um, there's not a lot of time to sink deeply into those forms of communication. They're still important. And what I just described to you, uh, the spirit nudging me this morning about unloading the dishwasher is some of the communication that it's a happens. Text message. Yeah, it's it's an it's an everyday little tweet. Yeah, a little tweet, text message. But we also need in our closest relationships and in marriage, long date nights where we have extended time to really talk and hear each other's hearts and get out the stuff that can't come in these little brief intersections of life. Well, that's what a personal retreat is like. It gives you time to sink into the heart of Jesus, to hear more of what he has to say. He gets a chance to chew a little deeper into things that you've been chewing on, uh, dig a little deeper. It's super important to have date nights, and personal retreats are like that with Jesus. So I've been, uh, Becky asked me to do this, and I was very specific about the things that I do because I've been doing this a long time, and people have asked me, about it because it sounds really good to go on a personal retreat, but they don't know what to do. A lot of people have never been on one. Well, I've learned the hard way over years and years of doing this, what what I do that helps to maximize that time. So please do go pick it up. It's free. So why wouldn't you? So I have one last thing that I wanted to throw out there that uh, that struck me about what Sarah Bessie said. She was talking about um, that we need more ways that aren't really focused on discipline. Mm-hmm. And and I know that um, we talk on this podcast a lot about it's it's really not about working harder to be a better person or trying harder to get better. It's really about abiding and attaching to Jesus. The, the title of this podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, is all about drawing near to him because we are branches grafted into the vine, and then we get to share the life of the vine that comes up through our dead branch and miraculously grows incredible fruit in our lives. That is the path that Jesus has for us. But I don't want people to think that I am an—just because I've, I say this so much, that I am an undisciplined person. Actually, the discipline is a fruit. 
And Sarah pointed that out. It is a fruit of the Spirit to have self-control. It comes, the difference is colossal, but nuanced. Where does the discipline come from? Does it come from my attachment to Jesus, or does it come from my place of control, where I have learned to be disciplined? We have so many millions of examples of highly disciplined people who seem like that's the kind of person we want to be, and all of it comes crashing down because they just can't maintain that level of personal discipline that's necessary in every environment. Mm -hmm. And it's, of course, it's going to come crashing down. It's built on our own self-control. So the discipline that the Spirit brings comes from Jesus himself. And I think it's important to recognize this balance between abiding in him and the discipline that results. And I thought Sarah did a great job of describing that. She said it's the intersection of the Holy Spirit and our choices that leads to transformation. That is a perfect explanation of how transformation actually happens, because Jesus wants to do it with us, and so our choices matter, but they matter about as much as the widow's might. You know, when she just threw that little penny into the pot, we need to throw something into the pot, <laughs> but really, by, by scale, it's really just a little penny. That's all it is. Jesus wants us to throw our penny in the pot, but then he makes up all of the difference in that. So when she says the intersection of the Holy Spirit and our choices, it's really the intersection of, uh, of a Brinks truck backing up and dumping treasure onto the street and us throwing a little penny onto the pile. Jesus has said, yeah, but you still got to throw your penny. So that's, that's part of the role of discipline in our lives. We give what we have to give, but we expect the, the discipline, self-control to be a fruit that grows up in us because of our attachment to Jesus. So another thing to remember is that we started a little membership group. We still do not have a name for it. So please, 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 please give us some ideas. Uh, we are out of ideas. Yeah, if, we really if, feel if like you don't give us thing. ideas. We're going to call it the Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus Podcast Membership Group. Um, oh, so that's a terrible yeah. threat, Becky. So, um, but we've actually had quite a few of you who have signed up for that, and we've already been kind of sending you some fun stuff. So can go on to any any one of our pages and there's a link where you can sign up for that group and uh that's all that's that it I that's have it to for say. this week next week if i can convince becky <laughs> it'll be tony okay week we'll talk about it <laughs> so uh by the way uh, uh you can find out further details about this podcast in the links that becky is talking about on jesus on on the jesuscenteredlife.com you can find our podcast section if you if you want to find this one again or send it on to a friend who you think might enjoy listening to it again, it's season two, episode 14. And the title is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. And it's a podcast from Lifetree. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes for all of the latest podcasts. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.